Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. I hope you're having a great day. I have flubbed this intro about nine times already, so hopefully this is the one that sticks. But I hope you're having a great day. It's Wednesday evening that I'm recording this intro and outro. AW Forbidden Door right around the corner. I, for one, am very excited about it. We're going to see the final bill to that. So uh, it should be interesting just to see how the card plays out. I know I'm going to be watching that. If you're looking for some good local wrestling, CWE is running two shows this weekend. The 24th in Winnipeg and the 25th in Dauphin. 24th is at Holy Eucharist, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, 25th up in Dauphin, like I said. So if you're looking for local wrestling, go check out those. They're going to have Cowboy James Storm on both shows, if I'm not mistaken. Just James Storm, not Wildcat Chris Harris. But I think everyone's familiar with James Storm. He uh, was huge in TNA. Uh you know, part of Beer Money, America's Most Wanted. Uh, I He had a brief cup of coffee with uh, NXT, only a couple matches if I'm not mistaken, but he's going to be appearing at those shows. So uh, if you're looking for local stuff, definitely go hit those up. It should be a great time. This week on the podcast, though, I was joined by Madison Miles. You might not be familiar with her, but she is uh, definitely a star on the rise. So she grew up out on the East Coast. She uh, trained out there. She started off out there. She's wrestled up and down Canada. I think she said she hit every province, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So she's done a couple CWE tours. Those uh, you know month long ones that CWE puts on that uh, they hit all the all the towns, making sure that everyone can go check out some uh, great independent wrestling. So she's done those. She ended up making the move out to England. So she's based out of England right now. So we talk about uh, all of that, the training, uh, getting into wrestling, doing those month-long tours, doing the death tours, uh, the northern death tours that everyone's familiar with, um, making the move out to England, wrestling out there, what that's like. Uh, we get into a whole bunch of different stuff. This was actually a really, really fun interview. Um, I enjoy all my interviews, but uh, you know, right now I'm, I'm just on a high. I just finished editing it, and I just, I love how everything came together. So. We talk about that. We talk about a huge honor that she's going to be receiving later on this year for the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club. If you're not familiar with them, check them out. They're doing a great thing, preserving history and uh, a lot of that sort of stuff. But she's been going to those shows for a few years and she's actually being honored this year. The Rising Star Award. She was supposed to get it in 2020. The pandemic hit. She couldn't make it last year. So they're honoring her this year. It's a huge, huge honor. So we talk about all that stuff, um, upcoming shows, a tryout with WWE as well. That happened a couple years back. So we talk about that, all of her wrestling accolades, a whole a whole bunch of fun stuff. So uh, without further ado on the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, Madison Miles. Now, you grew up on the East Coast of Canada. And for all intents and purposes, I mean, growing up, you were basically a super fan of wrestling, correct? That's correct, yeah. So where and when did your love for wrestling begin? For me, my, my dad was always a really big wrestling fan. Um, when I was three and four years old, he used to go to shows all the time. Um, and when I was four, we went to a TNA taping, but we were sat way up in the bleachers and being four years old, I was like, yeah, I don't really care. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, 
And then when I was five, my dad used to go to these local shows all the time. And there was one night where I was like, dad, dad, I want to go with you. And he was like, but you're going to hate it. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to go with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be with you, whatever. Um, and when we got there, I that was the time that I had seen my very first female involved in wrestling. Um, and she was a manager at the time. But seeing a girl up close at live show, I was like, oh, my God, women do this, too. I had no idea. And to be honest, I was just hooked from there. Um, so that was when I was five years old in 2005. And then I just attended shows as a fan in 2006 and 2007 um, and 2008. And then in 2008, um, I had started kind of helping with the ring and set up and that sort of thing. And then from 2009 to 2011, my dad and I did charity work with wrestling. Um, So we raised over $5,000 in three years for Christmas Daddies, which is an East Coast um, charity. And um, basically, we would go into the shows early. My portion of the ticket money that I would pay to go to the show, all the shows would donate that back into the charity fund. Um, And because I was in shows early, I was doing all the setup and that sort of thing, getting to know people a bit better. Um, and then I started working merchandise and working on the door as a nine-year-old child. Don't know whoever <laughs> allowed that to happen and have me handle a cash box, but I did it and it taught me well. Um, <laughs> and then, so yes, yeah, so the charity work kind of went from 2009 to 2011. And that was where my dad, um, bless him, he's got such a big heart and he loves wrestling so much. He created my own little gimmick of the super fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know so that kind of went on and then when I was um when I was 14 I started doing backstage segments uh ringing the bell for companies um and ring announcing um and then when I turned 15 uh wild man Gary Williams was like you know I know we don't have any women but Mm -hmm. you've been around for ages if you want to learn how to wrestle we'll train you yeah and I was like I actually didn't think I could do it. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was very nervous. Um, I started contemplating training when I was 14. Um, and luckily my dad used to do film work at this point for, um, some companies. So I got to kind of sit in and watch how a training session worked. And I was like, I can do it. Mm -hmm. But before that, I was a bit like, you know, I always knew I wanted to be involved, but I actually didn't think I could handle the pain. Um, and I saw it and I was like, I can do it it's fine it's fine I mean terrifying hor- horrifying in fact, <laughs> but I'll do it and I'll mm-hmm. get through it and since then it just hasn't stopped really well it's funny because until you see what it all entails you're you're kind of left wondering you know because you hear horror stories and that but then when you actually see it up close you're like yeah you know I can kill this you know I got this so mm-hmm. it, it's sort yeah. of the same thing I was always really naturally unathletic. So I was a bit like, you know, am I going to go in and they're asking me, going to ask me to do a 450 and I'm going to be like, <laughs> well, of course not, you know? Um, and, you know, so in my head, I had no idea of how I'm like, do they just expect you to do these things? Because I'm not naturally athletic. So, mm-hmm. you know, not only am I, you know, I'm not athletic with no idea what I'm doing. I'm unathletic with no idea what I'm doing. So, um, but once I saw, I'm like, okay, they actually teach you step-by-step how to do these Mm -hmm. things. I'm like, it's okay. I'll survive. At 15 to step into a training situation like that, that's a huge thing for someone that young. Yeah. And to be honest, um, I always joke. It's really funny because people used to say, oh, you know, like take who you are and then up it as a wrestler. And at 15, I was like, I don't even know who I am as a person, yeah. let alone as a wrestler. 
Um, but I was really lucky that I was trained in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. um, I was the only female. I was the first full-time female wrestler in the Maritimes in nine years. Um, and funny enough, the last two girls that were um, full-time were the girls that I saw in 2005, 2006, 2007, that I was like, oh my God. Um, but yeah, you know, it, that was them. That was ages ago. So it was weird to me to think there actually hasn't been a full-time female around here since the girls that I used to watch when I very first fell in love with wrestling. Mm -hmm. It seemed like there was a period there where there wasn't a lot of, you know, female wrestlers coming into it, you know, even across mm -hmm. Western Canada. I mean, things have changed now and you're seeing a lot more, but at, for, at that time, there really wasn't many that were coming up through the training and through the systems. Yeah. And I think, especially being in the Maritimes, like, you know, nobody goes there unless you're going there for a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you get like Grand Prix and oftentimes, I think it would have been XWA back then um, in St. John, New Brunswick. They often brought in a carload from Ontario. So like we saw women come in once in a while there. Um, and sometimes at IHW, uh, which used to run out of Moncton, New Brunswick, um, they bring in random girls for like a show. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, to be honest, I think women were quite few and far between. And um, I think it's really interesting when you look back and you think, well, there were all these females, but you know, it was, it was just so much different. So, yeah. you know, and, and such a widespread as well across Canada that you're like, well, you know, that it's great that <laughs> British Columbia has 10 women's wrestlers, but then Nova Scotia has one, New Brunswick has one, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then you just realize actually they're all, spread out all over the place so it's yeah it, it's it's definitely interesting how much it's changed mm -hmm. you had mentioned uh gary williams you know kind of taking you under his wing uh talk about that a little bit and your experiences in you know training a little bit more if you could yeah so um so actually gary technically wasn't the person who taught me how to okay. take my very first bumps um, when I found out I was going to be training with Gary, I was so scared. <laughs> um, so I actually ended up taking my first bumps with, uh, Dick Durning and Adam Kraft based in New Brunswick. Um, and they were kind of the ones who were like, this is how you bump and that sort of thing. And they kind of helped me to prepare myself to go into proper, um, scheduled training sessions. Mm -hmm. Now with Gary, I guess my thing was, is that it's different. I'm, I have massive amount of respect for Durning and Kraft. Um, but with Gary, it was just different. Gary was one of the proper people who used to run the territory. You know, he's one of our top three big legends from the Maritimes. So in my head, I was like, I want to be trained by someone who has done what I want to do mm -hmm. with my life, you know, and someone who um, basically has been wrestling forever, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, because I wanted that, um, that kind of level of knowledge. And I always really liked old school style of wrestling as well. Um, I don't know if that comes from the fact that I knew that I wasn't going to be a flippy all over the place sort of worker. Um, you know, whereas for example, Durning and Kraft can go in there and have a 10 star all over the place match. And that's fantastic. And I respect mm -hmm. that very much. Um, but I always knew that I really, really wanted to get down and dirty into like the old school style of it. And I knew that that's what I would be getting with Gary. Um, and I met Gary for the first time in 2006 or 2007. So I had known him, you know, for almost 10 years at this point, mm -hmm. maybe between between eight to 10 years. Um, so he was someone that I had a lot of trust in and I kind of knew I was learning from the best. And I always felt really safe in my time with Gary. Um, and he was a great teacher and taught me really well.
Mm-hmm. Now, how and he long? Was patient. It's very, very patient. <laughs> <laughs> that that's key, especially when you're dealing with someone you know, like you know, fourteen or fifteen years old, to like know yeah. that like it's a lot different than you know a twenty-four or twenty-five year old going into training. You know, massively. Um, how long after starting training before you had your first match? So I'm not gonna lie, I had my first match a lot sooner than I should have. Um, we we began training in June of 2015. And then our training technically finished in October. That wasn't up to Gary. That was um, because of the place that we were renting. We couldn't rent any longer. Um, and when I'd finished that training, um, again, should have carried on longer. But at that point, Caitlin Diamond had put a status on Facebook saying that they needed a girl for a two-week tour in Ontario. Um, and then she and I were talking and she was like, oh, you just finished your training, didn't you? And I was like, yeah. I was like, but, you know, I still know nothing. Like, these will be some of my very first matches. And and I think, to be honest, I feel really bad now because I can't even remember the exact time. But I'm pretty sure it was something like, you leave in 10 days. So the tour starts in 10 days. So I was like, okay, well, you know. So I found out while I was in high school, I was sat at school in my math class. And I went and was like, can I go to the toilet? And I was gone for ages because um, I was talking to Caitlin and then rang my mom and was like, oh my God, you know, I've just been offered to go on this two-week tour, but that means I have to miss school, but I have to do it, but I want to do it. What what do you what do you think? Mm-hmm. Um and she was like, her 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 exact response was, Well, what would your dad say? And I was like, Is that you telling me to call him and ask? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then she was like, Yeah, call him. So then I rang him and I was like, Dad, you know, mm-hmm. and my dad being the supportive person he is, he was like, well, you'd be stupid not to do it, wouldn't you? And mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's what I was hoping for. Yeah. Um, so basically um, I had my very first match on November 7th. And that was actually because I knew I was going to Ontario um, to have my, what was supposed to be first match. Um, I had contacted one of the local promotions and said, I'm going here on a two week tour to have my first match. What are the chances of me trying to get onto a show um at this company I mean I've been helping out for years so it's not like I was just like hey you don't know me Mm -hmm. um I was like you know I'd really like to have my first match with my mom and dad there and the people who have watched me grow up and kind of know um my story and all that sort of thing and um they actually made that happen so I ended up having my first match on November 7th in Campbellton New Brunswick um and it's about a seven hour drive from my house. Oh, wow. um, so I drove back home that next day. And then the day after that flew to Ontario and um, did one of their Northern tours with Caitlin Diamond um, and that crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was with CWF. And so that was lots of very long drives and that sort of thing. So to be honest, I, I definitely wasn't ready. I think, to be honest, Caitlin was a bit shocked because I don't think, because it was it was only two, it was like a skeleton crew. I think it was eight people, two girls. So Caitlin and I worked every day for two mm-hmm. weeks. Um, and I think she was shocked because training is obviously different everywhere. And I wasn't ready, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm always really grateful to her because actually she taught me how to be ready. And even though I didn't know a lot and I had, I was so so green um you know we got through it and she Mm -hmm. led me through it every single night and we did it and I think those are the experiences that really kind of shaped me into who I am now Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, when you're put in that position, I mean, where you don't have a lot of experience, you go into it and you're like, she's basically, you know, helping you along the way. It's a, a great learning experience for yourself. And a, it's almost mm. like a, a sink or swim type situation where like, you're either going to keep going forward with it, or you're like, I'm done. And you just kept going forward with it. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, I had a lot of that in my entire career because that was for a while. That was the last time that I actually had a stable training school. Cause I, in the first few years, I had like a record amount of matches. So I had my first match on November 7th. Um, and then I finished that year with 19 matches. Um, so I had quite a few matches in that short period of time. Mm-hmm. And then in the next year, I think I had, I think it was, I think it was 88 oh, wow. um, in my second year of wrestling. And in the Maritimes, you know, that was pretty much being on every show mm-hmm. that was offered because there wasn't a massive amount going on at that time. Um, and as well that on my so 2016 was just kind of getting my footing a little bit and then 2017 I did um the famous northern death tour not uh Tony Candela's tour but the CWF version of it mm-hmm. um and that was 46 matches and 48 days and that was driving over the ice roads and working in places that like on the tour I got bed bugs and everything like you know it was it was the hardest probably the hard one of the hardest experiences I've ever done in my entire life mm-hmm. um but again it then makes you grateful to drive 20 minutes down the road and yeah. work in Norwich Town Hall and you know <laughs> you're like you know <laughs> I'm just lucky to be here aren't I? <laughs> you know <laughs> um but I think those a lot of those sink or swim experiences really shaped me and there were so many times when I was just like I just need to get, I just need to do it. I need to do everything I can possibly do. I need to take as many bookings as I can get. Mm -hmm. And I take a lot of pride in myself that, um, you know, I do rate the wrestler that I am now. And I think a lot of that is from my own ability to not bust under pressure and to just continue on and hope for the best really. And Mm -hmm. try my hardest to be somewhere. Cause I, it wasn't until 2017 that I kind of settled back down into another training school um and that to be honest wasn't even like a training school that was done by um like a well-known head trainer that was just a school with a bunch of us Mm -hmm. that we were like we all just want to try and help each other get better um and that was where um around that time in my life I had met Kobe Christ who's originally from um originally from Ontario or from Cape Breton moved to Ontario and then back to Nova Scotia um and he really um he's brilliant when it comes to like the mechanics of the body and how people move and what works for them and what doesn't and he was the first person to say madison look we know that you're um not athletic we know that you and at this point i had lost about 50 pounds 40 40 50 pounds through wrestling um so although i was smaller still relatively uncoordinated Mm-hmm. You know, I was good at what I was good at and then learning anything new. I was like a baby deer. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he was the first person to be like, you struggle with this, this, this and this, you know, and he would just point it out and be like, but let's figure out a way to help you learn and fix that. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person to really kind of, I feel like, make it specific to me because I had a lot of people like, you know, Caitlin Diamond helped shape me in the ring. I did a really long feud with Chris Hicks from New Brunswick 
Um, and those feuds and those sort of things in the ring taught me so much and kind of shaped how I tell a story and character and all that sort of thing. But Kobe was the first person to be like, you're uncoordinated for sure, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he was the first person to really get down to the specifics with me of how do I use my weakness to my advantage, really. Yeah. And it, that really says something when a trainer or someone in that position can help you out and be like, okay, this is your weakness, but we're going to work on improving that with a way that's more beneficial to you because not everything's going to work with everyone. So they really, he really nailed it down and be like, Hey, let's try this. And going forward with that, it was, you know, very helpful for you. Yeah. Yeah. Massively. And I, you know, I'm really grateful to Kobe for that because I think that was exactly what I needed at that point. Cause at that point I was two years in and, you know, of course, you're only going to learn the kind of actual having matches stuff when you're having matches and getting that experience. But I really needed that. And he was that person that was able to give me that at that point. So I'm really grateful for that. Uh, you had mentioned Tony Candelo, and I mean, he's very well known, I know, in Western Canada, but hearing someone from who is based out on the East Coast talk about him is really, you know, a testament to his longevity and you know, what he brings to Canadian wrestling, but you had mentioned the Northern tour. Um, I know you had also done a few tours with CWE who was based out of Winnipeg. Yeah. So um, unfortunately with Tony Candelo, I've never actually gotten to work for him, mm -hmm. um, but his tours are just as legendary all over Canada to the point where actually um, CWF and Tony Candelo would run these Northern tours. But to be honest, a lot of people knew about Tony's tours and actually every time I tell someone, well, yeah, I've done the Northern death tours, but not the Northern death tour. Mm -hmm. I've just done one of them, but not his. And, you know, I always have to specify that because people know Tony Candelo all over Canada and mm -hmm. he's, you know, he's so well-respected and well-known for that. Um, CWE tours were some of the funnest times, honestly, I think I created, such good memories on those tours i've done two of them now so i did one in 2018 and one in 2019 um and honestly both experiences were such good learn like such good learning experiences and with the um with the northern tours sometimes you would do like three matches in a day and then have a day off um two matches in a day have a day off or something like that you know sometimes you do a run but you'd have days whereas cwe is like consistent one match a day every day for 36 days straight or whatever that is, you know? So um, it's definitely different. And a lot of the winter tours are a lot more camp style um, shows. And with CWE, it's more, it's definitely not indie crowds, but it's obviously more, um, you have to do a bit above that kind of camp level of match mm -hmm. and find your, your happy medium. So very, very different. Um, but I think those tours are, I always said, I think they're necessary to see if someone can handle being a wrestler and that's not to throw shade at anybody or anything, but I just think like, I think those moments are crucial. And I think if you want to be a wrestler, why wouldn't you want to be wrestling every single day if you had the chance and not just that, but you get to see the entire, that entire half of the country. Mm -hmm. um, my partner, Charlie, he did the, the tour in 2018 with me and I had been to, um, Alberta and that sort of thing but he had he hadn't and actually for him as um as a English person British person sorry um you know he got to see that entire side of the country and he was like mm -hmm. why wouldn't people want to do it you know so it's a brilliant experience and CWE has always been really really good to work with very always treated me very very well 
No, that's great. I mean, you mentioned wrestling all through Canada. I mean, you were predominantly out in the East to start. Then you had made your foray over to England for the first time. What was that like and how did that all come together? Um, so basically at that point in my career, I believe I had done every Canadian province. So I was a bit like, okay, what can I do next? Mm-hmm. Um, and in April of, so dig in my memory bank here, April of 2018, no, April of 2017, um, was when my now partner, Charlie, um, came over to Canada for the first time. Um, and at that point I was in a different relationship, um, but he ended up coming back for a show later in October in 2017. And to be honest, we just hit it off. Mm -hmm. Um, and we kind of knew right away that our relationship was definitely something different. And he had, um, he was only in Canada for, I think it was two weeks because he was there for a wedding. Mm -hmm. Um, and only a month later, he then came back for a month. Um, and stayed with my family for Christmas. And then I ended up graduating high school early um, in January of 2018 because I had got a credit previously for my Northern Death Tour that I did. Um, So they gave me a job placement high school credit. So Mm -hmm. I was actually able to graduate early. Um, And I graduated on the 31st. And on the 5th of February, I flew over to England for my first time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I spent a month over here. And then I must have come back in, I reckon, September, October of that year. Okay. And basically, I had done three trips before I officially moved here. I think I did a month, three months, and then four months, I want to say it was. Um, And then I applied for my visa to come and live over here. And I moved over here in uh, September, September of 2019. Okay. Uh, Now... When you had your first match there, how did, you know, what was the differences compared to, you know, wrestling in front of the Canadian crowds? If there were any, what was that experience like for you? The biggest thing I always say is that um, maritime Canadian wrestling specifically is so old school. Um, And in England, they do quite a few um, camps, which is quite, quite like next level old school. Um, But for the most part, England wrestling is much more mainstream Mm -hmm. And I believe there's a lot more submission holds and that sort of thing. So submission holds are the biggest thing. So that's kind of always the story that I tell with quite a few British workers is because they all specialize in submission holds, Mm -hmm. whereas that's not my specialty (laughs) at all. Um, So that's definitely the biggest thing is that Canadian wrestling, if you take away the camps in England, are so old school. um, Mm -hmm. And that doesn't always work over here because that's not just not how it is. and then here, sometimes they'll do, they'll do like British rounds matches, or they'll do, um, they do a lot of submission and technical wrestling. And actually, some matches are purely based around who can almost legit out wrestle each other. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I find you don't really get that a lot in Canada because everything is still um, a little bit. I mean, everything still has psychology over here, but I think the psychology behind it is so different and fascinating. Because they'll just do that. They'll they'll just tack and chain and do that sort of thing for twenty minutes straight. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they're not, of course, like, you know, you are bumping out of certain moves, but you're not bumping here, there and everywhere. It's very, very technical. Yeah. And I still haven't quite wrapped my head around it to be <laughs> fair, but, um, and some people I know actually say that that style of wrestling is a lot harder um, because when you've got a submission hold on, you're engaging your entire body and holding on to it and that sort of thing. And so I know people who say that they're 10 times more exhausted coming back from that than they are coming back from running back and forth and flipping and moving and <laughs> lifting and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. the, uh, I know like British wrestling for me, it really started to take flight in like 2016, 17. That's when mm-hmm. I started noticing it more because you were getting, you know, the tournaments on for WWE and stuff like that. So you're seeing all these incredibly talented mm-hmm. wrestlers, like, you know, your Pete Dunn's, your Tyler Bates and stuff like that, who wrestle a completely different style, but it is, it was so very entertaining watching them in the ring because it was something brand new. And the, the way they were going about it was, it was a whole new world for myself to see this happening. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think that's the best part of it is that I, I don't come over here, I guess, to wrestle just like they all do, because actually Mm -hmm. that's how I can stand out here because I wrestle the way I do. But I think it's great to be surrounded by people who are all different than me because it means that I never stop learning. You know, it means that I get to learn these different psychologies and, you know, they all have these, you know, even just, you know, it's not a great example, but obviously, you know, we say, oh, we have an international in a match. Well, yeah, they, you know, they'll call it an international too. But for example, um, you know, we'll say drop down, they say sleep. Mm-hmm. And there's just all these different things. And that's obviously a really simple one, but they have so many different things that they call certain things and that sort of thing. And I just think it's, it's brilliant. Cause I, like I said, I haven't, I haven't stopped learning and there's always something that I'm going, can someone tell me what they're talking about? Cause <laughs> I don't know. First time I wrestled in Ireland, um, I was in a four on four tag and I couldn't understand a single thing they were saying because two of the people in the match were Scottish. Um, The rest of them were Irish. And then there was Mm -hmm. me and they were calling the match. And I went, you guys tell me where you need me to be (laughs) because I can't understand a word any of you are saying. They're just talking so fast. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know, so never a dull moment nonetheless i guess if you have you know the different accents going in and then different terminology for stuff uh, sometimes you just like you take a step back and be like okay where do you need me i'll be there just let me know yeah and to be honest there's a lot of times even in my even in my personal life when someone talks with a really strong accent and i just grab charlie and i'll be like (laughs) can you tell me what this person is saying because i'm you know i have to do the whole like stare at the lips really intensely and try to Mm -hmm. figure out what they're saying um so yeah it's definitely uh it's a challenge for sure uh, currently right now over in england uh what are the promotions that you've been wrestling for um so the main two that i wrestle for at the moment are um doa and world association of wrestling so that okay. one's run by the knight family they're the ones that i kind of get the most consistent work from um i have previously worked for eve rev pro um Oh my God, I'm drawing a complete blank all of a sudden. That's not very good. <laughs> um, to be honest, the, the biggest thing I used to do over here was a lot of international work. Mm-hmm. Um, and that still hasn't fully opened up yet. And because of Brexit, um, sorry, I'm not trying to sound all political, but because of Brexit, some countries now have tax on British workers because we're okay. not in the European Union anymore. So it has definitely slowed down the international work. Mm-hmm. Um 
So now it's about trying to kind of recover those bases really of the local companies running around here because before I was doing so much international work that I didn't really um there's a few companies I work for like five or six I know there's a few I'm forgetting which sorry to everyone if anyone hears this and they're going <laughs> honestly you work for me all the time my brain's drawing a complete blank um but yeah they uh it's it's definitely interesting now because I'm rebuilding my bases based on not having that international work um back on full steam at the minute mm-hmm. well i was like i mean for myself i know like you know i'm familiar with the rev pro uh, ott over in europe um and uh, you, you had mentioned eve you know i've checked out some of their stuff and i think one of the best things which made it helpful for myself before talking to you was like when companies upload their matches up on youtube it makes it so much easier because i i knew you had uh, wrestled for WAW and, you know, seeing matches up there. I'm like, thank you. I appreciate that, you know, because you're going to see matches from all over the world and it's right at your fingertips. So it's perfect. Yeah. Massively. And in the last few years, I've kind of, um, my dad controlled my YouTube channel for a long time because he used to do all the filming for the matches. Um, and then I realized kind of how beneficial it was to add the matches I was having over here. And, you know, I've had the thing I regret the most is when I first moved over here is a lot of them weren't filmed Mm -hmm. or if they were filmed it was really hard to get access to them um whereas now I try to almost always make sure that if if I know there's no camera crew I won't have access to it that I'm filming it for myself um because I do actually have my YouTube um my YouTube account does get quite a lot of traffic and I realized Mm -hmm. how much people actually appreciate um seeing these sorts of matches especially you know if they're from small towns and they sort of see the same things all the time at least if they know like if someone is a fan of me, they can still see that, but see yeah. other stuff. So I've definitely, um, I don't think I appreciated it quite as much as at first. And that's definitely changed in the last little while because I'm trying to be a little bit more on top of things on my YouTube channel. So um, I know back in, I think it was 2019, you had a tryout with WWE. Yes. How, what was that experience like for yourself? Was that when they were in Toronto for SummerSlam? Uh, yes, that's correct. I believe. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was, um, it was the beginning of August in 2019. And to be honest, actually, before going into the trial, I was in a relatively fragile place, um, mm-hmm. in my life with my mental health. I was doing a lot of traveling and I did feel quite burnt out beforehand. I was really grateful for it though, because I was one of the youngest females in Canada to ever have a tryout. So that was, that was huge. Um, it was the most incredible experience, but I'm not going to lie. It was very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had a lot of doubts in my mind going there in terms of, did I deserve to be there? Was I good enough to be there? Um, you know, why me basically? And the whole thing was incredible. I think it made me realize again, that there's still a lot I need to do a lot. I need to get better at in the preparation. Um, but I'm so thankful for that experience because I think that that, um, it's just another thing on the journey that kind of shapes you into what you're doing. I only had, I think most of us at that tryout only had four weeks notice. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas my partner, Charlie, like he did a tryout and he had six months of notice before okay. he got to go to his, you know, so he had done a lot more preparation for me. It was like, okay, what are my weakest areas? What do I need to do before I get there? in four weeks, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and, um, don't get me wrong. You can do a lot in four weeks, but in terms of, um, 
kind of where you're at as a person four weeks isn't a massive amount of time um so that's probably if I could change anything I would say that I would have maybe given myself a tiny bit more time to prepare but then again they always say to you well if you're not ready um you know stay prepared so that you don't have to get prepared mm-hmm. um and that was definitely a big lesson for me in terms of that um I think I I think I doubted my self-confidence a lot at that tryout um which is really funny because I, when I look back at myself, then it's one of those moments as you grow that you think, actually, I think I was doing the absolute best I could have done. But because I was in a fragile headspace at that time, I remember thinking I'm doing my best, but I don't think it's good enough. Mm-hmm. And actually maybe it wasn't because I didn't get signed, but looking back at it now, I know that in that moment I was doing all I could do, you mm-hmm. know, and I actually think that I was relatively well-prepared um for what I did but I think my confidence in that time period wasn't where it should have been for my tryout but it was incredible and the experience was amazing and you know it doesn't get any more surreal than when you walk into a building and you're stepping into a WWE ring you know you see the canvas you see the the turnbuckles with the logos and the aprons and you just think oh my god I'm stepping in a freaking WWE ring Mm. being trained by WWE coaches it doesn't matter how the experience goes. It doesn't matter if I get signed or don't get signed. It doesn't matter if they take one look at me and go, that girl's shit. You know, in that moment, you're there. And some people will never even get to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that, that sounds quite selfish. It's not mean to, but some, you know, you just think how grateful am I to be in this moment? Yeah. And now, like you had mentioned when you first went to a show and, you know, seeing, you know, the female manager there and seeing female wrestlers for the first time, what is the feeling like for yourself knowing that you're wrestling in front of, you know, you know, girls and kids and they're seeing you and you are an inspiration to them now that if they want to, they can do this themselves. To be honest, I've always found it really overwhelming um, because I think, I think a lot of times I don't even know if I've processed all of that because I think it sometimes, you know, you have people who come up to you and they, they, they say really intense things to you personally about Mm -hmm. what you've done for them. Um, And I, you know, I know in those moments I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so grateful. But then you actually sit back when you're on your own and you process all that and you think, Oh my God, some of the stuff people have said to me about their journeys and what I've done for them is really, really intense, really personal, really deep stuff. Um, And I think even just on a level now, like, um, when I started wrestling me and one of my best friends at the time kind of started wrestling together but since then there's been quite a few girls come and go not many of them have stuck with it but actually you didn't even really get girls who tried out for wrestling before Mm -hmm. that and now there's a few and um I like to think especially in the Maritimes without sounding too cultural again it was all very kind of black and white this is how it is it's a very male environment Mm -hmm. you know and that sort of thing and I think the first few years of my career in itself in the Maritimes were just absolutely fighting for that diversity and that kind of equality. And, you know, I know I don't tick a whole lot of the diverse boxes, um, but a lot of it was just, you know, that whole thing of showing people that actually we can do it and we don't have to be a jacked up white male. It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's, that's not it. That's not all wrestling is, mm-hmm. you know, and of, of course that's not the stereotype that everybody fit, but that was, that was my kind of entire motto when I started wrestling was just that, you know, 
anybody can do it. If, and yeah. if I can do it, <laughs> me and my unathletic self, <laughs> you know, that, that anybody can do it if you have the passion and the motivation to do it. Cause I feel like that's where I was always a bit like, um, like stern with people is saying like, I think anyone can wrestle if you don't take the piss out of wrestling, mm-hmm. like you have to appreciate it. And, you know, wrestling, wrestling owes you owe wrestling, everything wrestling doesn't owe you anything, mm-hmm. you know? So, but aside from that, I think, um, I think the idea of empowering people has always been really intense and yeah. I think it's a lot to process. And we obviously, um, in 2019, we ran the first, the first ever all women show, um, in the Maritimes that was female down to the ring announcers and the referees. And that had never been done on a maritime level. There had been previous shows done, but there was always like a men's match or two and a male mm-hmm. announcer and that sort of thing. Um, but that was all with people who were, um, external. So, um, in 2014 body slammers, um, ran by Devin Chittick had done a tour in Nova Scotia. Um, and there was lots of girls from Ontario and BC and that sort of thing. Um, but a lot of people on the tour didn't get paid. Um, they weren't always uh, treated the very best and that sort of thing. And actually, um, you know, as I said, there was, there was always men invo- male involvement in the show, whereas everything in our show, as not to knock it, is just, you know, proven a point that mm. um, our show in 2019 was the very first ever all women's event. And I just think, think of how many times there's been all male events in this mm-hmm this city in this province and this province and the next province over and the next province over you know and you just um so like that was a huge accomplishment for us and we all just sat there that night and we're like you know and over half the talent on the show was from the maritimes um we had i think there was three fly-ins for the show okay but everything else ring announcers referees and over half of the wrestlers were from the maritimes mm-hmm. and you know i remember sitting there that night looking at the locker room thinking I stood in this doorway, you know, four years ago thinking, how in the hell am I going to do this as a female? And here we are putting on a show that is all female. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we did that, you know, and, and it's massive. I'm to be honest, like I said, I always think it's a hard question. Cause I, sometimes I don't even think I've processed it fully. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge testament to yourself and everyone involved to be able to do something like that. Like you said, in a, you know, in the Maritimes word was very, you know, black and white and things like that. So like mm-hmm. to be able to do something like that and take it to, you know, breaking down a wall almost and having the all female run, you know, from the wrestlers, the ring announcers, the referees, everyone involved, that's huge. And I think it's great to see mm-hmm. stuff like that. And it's definitely something more promotions or you know provinces should be looking at and being like yeah this can happen yeah and i think even now like for example um if you look at dan reed's promotion eve in this country um i was with someone the other day at a wrestling show and someone said why does he only run all female shows and i was like well why does anybody only run all male shows mm-hmm. or why is the standard wrestling show have five men's matches and one's one women's match what's mm-hmm. the difference you know and it didn't bother me at all but I just sat there and thought um it, it's interesting that people still think about these things because well why not you mm-hmm. know it's I, I and I appreciate the person was probably asking because they were because they're a male and they're thinking oh I wish I could you know send a re- another resume into this person but then I just think you know you look at the opportunity for women to get booked versus men 
And if a woman's good, yeah, they'll get booked. But the point being is that if, if you are running a show and there's only two spots for a woman to fill versus the 12 spots for a man to fill, well, you know, no, I, realistically, people aren't going to have the same chances of getting on if you're a woman mm-hmm. because there's not enough spots. And people think, oh, well, it's fine. I only have one women's match. Well, why not have two? Why not have three? Why yep. not have half the card men and women? You know, so it, it does make you think, really. But it's, uh, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, it's definitely something that I think it needs to change. And we need to see more of that. We need to see, you know, mm-hmm. for a promotion not to be afraid to have, you know, you know, four women's matches on a card of, you know, nine or 10 matches. Because you know what? Most of the women, they'll be able to go just as hard be able to put on just as good if not a better match than some of the men's wrestlers mm-hmm. out there so we need more of that yeah and to be honest i'm not against intergender wrestling either so even mm-hmm. recently like the promotion um doa that i work for they used to only do like one women's match well now they they have their women's championship match and then um like i've been doing intergender matches the last few shows and that doesn't bother me any mm-hmm. um but then i think like but that's good i always like seeing shows where you think well, it's not just a girl's match. Like yeah. then you have a girl wrestling a guy and whatever, like it, you know, I'm not against an agenda and I know a lot of people are, but I just think who cares? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I got a couple more for you. Then I'll let you uh, enjoy your Saturday. Um, you had me- mentioned the passion and dedication that you had and how, you know, you know, it's, it's noticeable. I mean, the amount of work you've put in, I mean, over 500 matches, I think it is in your eight years and in 2020, the Cauliflower Alley Club was awarded you the Rising Star Award. In 2022, you're finally being able to receive that award. What is that like for yourself? Um, partially terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was told that I had won that award, um, I was actually with Ron Hutchinson in person. Um, and he had pulled me aside and was like, I just want you to know that you were nominated and you won and that sort of thing um and I find it really overwhelming actually because I think I started going to Cauliflower Alley Club in 2016 so I've been four times Mm -hmm. obviously the pandemic has um messed that up um but you know I just think every time I go to CAC everyone that I share a room with I just admire them so much and I think I'm so lucky to be able to sit here among all these veterans and these promoters and these people who have been around forever and how lucky am I that I get to sit and buy them a beer you know it sounds so cheesy but how 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 amazing is it that I can and you know anybody anybody can go mm-hmm. but part of the thing I've always done when I'm when I go is I always go for a week and this will be the first time that I am legally going to Vegas um because I turned 21 during the pandemic um but you know, what I would normally do is we will go for a week and I'll spend my first four days just trying to be around as many people as I can do mm-hmm. and then save the, the drinking for my time after when I'm there yeah. on my own and, you know, not really worrying about it. But there are times when I will get up at 8 a.m. and stay up till 5 a.m. just trying to network and talk to as many people as I can because there's just so much to take in. And, you know, even the people who you know, cause a lot of people say, oh, well, do, you know, can any of these people actually do anything for you right now? And I'm like, but it's not about that. It's not about who can, who's going to turn around after this and book me. It's not about who's going to, you know, necessarily put a good word in for me. But I think, you know, these people 
you know, you get people who are 20, 30, 40 year vets who go there Mm -hmm. and you think it doesn't matter what right now looks like. It matters that I'm able to sit and take in every ounce of knowledge that they have. Yeah. And honestly, I have such appreciation for CAC. I, I keep jokingly saying to Charlie, like, you know, how do I stand up on a stage in front of five or 600 people and give a speech as to why I deserve this award? Because actually, you know, and maybe I do. And I, you know, I do believe that, of course. But I think to all these people that I just admire so much, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to have to sort out a way to do that and do that in the way that I feel is right. Because actually I'm just every single year, just grateful to be there and grateful to be in the presence of these people, mm-hmm. you know, and be under the learning tree of all of these people. Um, but you know, it, it's, I'm really grateful for it. And I think it's amazing and I'm very, very honored, but you know, as I said, you, you look at the room and you just think how lucky am I that I'm even a part of this. And I think how lucky am I that I was even considered whether or not I had have been chosen for the award or not. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that somewhere my name is being spoken about positively in a room that I'm not in, you know, it's, it's really heartwarming. Just to be able to be there and to hear some of the stories being shared and just to take in everything. I think it's, that alone is huge. I know like I've had the chance just to sit and hear some older wrestlers talk, you know, just about wrestling in Winnipeg and you're sitting there and you're like hearing the stories and just like, wow, you know, it's not if they can do anything, but just being a part of that moment right there. Massively. And I think, you know, how many times do you sit and listen to those stories and go, damn, I wish I'd have been part of that, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you just think, well, then that almost just gives me more motivation to keep doing it and to create these stories. And then maybe someday, which kind of leads back to the whole empowering thing, maybe someday, 40 years from now, I'll be sat at CEC with the next generation of wrestlers. And maybe, you know, I will be lucky enough to be able to kind of hand that knowledge on to them, mm-hmm. you know, and I just, I don't know, it's really, it's really cool. Oh God, I don't even really know what to say <laughs> to be honest. Um, it's very cool. And I'm very mm-hmm. honored. It's just crazy really now for upcoming shows what do you have lined up you're going to be returning to canada soon aren't you i am i am i (laughs) to be honest my schedule is massively hectic in the next (laughs) few months um so i am returning to the east coast of canada um there is some rumbling and potential for me to be turning returning to the west coast um but i can't speak about that yet because it's not certain however um the possibilities look quite good not for cwe unfortunately um at the moment but there is some other potential stuff lined up for the end of uh, july um when i go home to canada i've got three shows i land and then i have a free day and then i've got three shows so we've got two shows for epic pro wrestling um i believe that the thursday is in lunenburg Lunenburg, I think. <laughs> I would get Lunenburg and Liverpool mixed up. If anyone's watching um, from that area or listening, that I suggest you check it out because I always get the two mixed up. <laughs> Even though I've been there both of those places a million times, I always get them mixed up on a poster. And every time I've said to my mom and dad, the show's in Lunenburg, they'll say, I thought it was Liverpool or vice versa. <laughs> um, so I'm pretty sure it's Lunenburg, but don't quote me on that. Um, and then Friday night, we're in St. John, New Brunswick for Epic Pro Wrestling. And then on Saturday, July 23rd, um, I make my return to Ultimate Championship Wrestling in my hometown in Halifax for the first time in four years. Perfect. So that's quite exciting. Um, and then 
there are some rumblings for the week after that for me to be heading back out to the West Coast. Um, I haven't got confirmation on that yet, but um, all the details have been worked out. So it's kind of one of those, um, as soon as I get a confirmation, that will um, be made kind of public. And then um, as of now, my flights are booked to come back to the UK on August 2nd. Um, and then I work on the second, a nice long 12 hour shift. I work for a, uh, I work for a, uh, community mental health crisis and suicide prevention team. Um, so we respond very similar to the ambulance service where if someone is about to take their own lives, that we go out and try to help them to not take their own lives, to not self-harm and all that good stuff. So very, very overwhelming, um, personal life agenda. And then uh, on August 3rd, Charlie and I are moving to Scotland for a month oh. and we are performing in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I just said Fringe, Fringe Festival. <laughs> um, we are the very, so we are part of a group called Mythos Ragnarok. And that is a London theatre show that incorporates wrestling, stunts and theatre. Um, and it is the first of its kind to be done anywhere in the world. Um, and we are the very first, uh, you know, wrestling theater production to ever be invited into the Fringe Festival to perform. Um, the Fringe Festival sells over 3 million tickets every year. Um, and that is 25 days straight of performances for us. So that is pretty groundbreaking in this country. Um, huge. Wrestling companies have done one-off shows during Fringe, like on a, you know, Friday or Saturday night yeah. or whatever. But nobody has been officially invited ever in wrestling history to perform every single night of fringe um and we've got a great slot in the middle of town which is it's basically if you compare it to like um the way i would say it's like a buskers festival mm -hmm. so they'll do shows every day starting at like 10 a.m until 11 p.m and um you know they're obviously better slots depending on when it's busiest and that sort of thing so we've got one of the busiest slots in the center location of town um so to be honest, it's absolutely groundbreaking and it's something I'm really excited to be a part of. I was offered a few wrestling shows in August, but I was like, I can't pass up this opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of people from here as well, like people want to go to Fringe. Like a lot of people haven't been and they always say they want to go and that's like one of their goals. But to actually perform in Fringe, especially as a Canadian performing in Fringe, I'm like, oh my God, like it's, it's huge really. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so that's 25 days straight of performances and fringe um so that's massive and then i'm home for two weeks and then we head out to vegas and um again we haven't got an exact confirmation yet but the details are worked out for some shows in las vegas and california so maybe a two-week break in between those two and a half months <laughs> but it's okay <laughs> we mean, carry on that's awesome i mean good luck to you guys doing the, you know the fringe festival that's a huge opportunity you. for yourselves but uh, thank you to be honest just to put wrestling on the map again like you know wrestling is really popular in this country and and in scotland but you think how many people at fringe may or may not be wrestling fans mm -hmm. you know and how and i think it also proves a really good point so um uh, Mythos Ragnarok was created by um, one of the leads in the cast, uh, whose name is Ed Gamester. And he wanted to prove a point that like wrestling can be done in so much more than just wrestling. And he's mm -hmm. the one who created the theater stunts. You know, we've got sword fights and people set on fire and all this sort, all this sort of stuff. But it all 
comes back to wrestling. The mm-hmm. fight scenes of the, the mythology is all based around wrestling. And his point was that he wanted to prove that wrestling can be put into so much more than just a wrestling show at a town hall, you know? And I just think, I think it is a groundbreaking opportunity to put wrestling on the map as something that people who may not like wrestling, maybe take more seriously. Mm-hmm. People who do will think, Oh my God, I've never seen wrestling done like this before. My mother-in-law is a massive fan of it. And she was actually tearing up after our performance. Cause she's like, I love wrestling and I watch you two wrestle all the time, but I've never seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. And you it's- just think, you're going to be able to perform in front of so many more eyes and, you know, all it takes is for a little bit of intrigue. And then you could have, you know, someone whose world is opened up to professional wrestling after that. Yeah, massively. And um, we've, I believe they've already been uh, invited to perform again next year. And we haven't even done this year yet. Um, But obviously that being the case, if it then goes really well, then who knows what, you know, next year, for, for example, could have in store. So it's a lot of potential. It's it's a very, very cool opportunity. I like to wrap up every interview by getting a match recommendation. Um, one of your favorite matches that you've watched um, that you think the listener should go ahead and check out, a match that you really enjoy. To be honest, one that really randomly stands out to me um, is probably one of the most recent ones but I actually felt really emotional during it was um Becky Lynch and Bianca Belair I was going to suggest something else but that match um from Wrestlemania recently is actually one of my favorite matches I've seen in a long time Mm -hmm. and it's not because the wrestling is amazing or anything like that I think my favorite thing about that match is the presence of the two women the presence of watching Becky Lynch walk down to the ring in you know, the entire sort of get up and attire that she's got on. Um, And you can just see the pure emotion on both of their faces. And, you know, the wrestling in it is great, sure. But like I said, I was looking through my list and that one just points out to me. And I know it's really new and I know a lot of people have already seen it. But every time I've I've watched it back two or three times and it Mm -hmm. gives me chills because I just think there's so much emotion in that match mm-hmm. and the way they look at each other, the way that they're dressed, the way that their characters are, their presence. I just think it's great, honestly. And I, I mean, Becky Lynch is one of my favorite wrestlers anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she does her job. She does the job. She jobs out so well. Um, and I don't know. I, I feel, I feel like silly that that's the match I pick, but that is one of my favorites. And yeah. I know for myself matches that can instill emotion and that it's, you know, to some people it might be like, they might not get it, but all that matters is that it makes you feel something. Cause there's matches I've liked and just the entrances alone, I get goosebumps and I'm like, I yeah. love this match. So. And that's what it is about that match. Like it's, you know, it's not the most amazing match they've ever, you know, that they've ever had. And it's not the most amazing match that, you know, as I said, I'm a big Becky Lynch fan. It's not it's not the most amazing match she's ever had. But when I sat watching it, I just felt such a level of emotion that, um, you know, I just, I don't know, it really sticks with me. Really, really sticks with me. Now, for anyone listening, if they're not already following you on social media, where can they find you? 
Um, so on Facebook, I have a page, uh, Madison Miles Professional Wrestler. On Instagram, my Instagram is Madison, M-A-D-D-I-S-O-N dot Miles, M-I-L-E-S. Um, and my Twitter handle is the same as my Instagram. I don't use Twitter as much. Instagram and Facebook are kind of my two main um, public sources, I'd say. Perfect. Madison, thing. oh, and check out Madison's YouTube page as well. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. My YouTube page. How could I forget that? Um, my YouTube page. Yeah. I've got over 33,000 subscribers at the minute. Um, one of my matches has over 7 million views. So I'm really, really working hard on trying to get, um, my YouTube channel, um, up there and kind of keep it as strong as it has been in the last year. Um, so that YouTube channel is just Madison miles. Um, but yeah, please check that out. If you're listening, there's lots of great sources on there and I do update it really regularly, um, with female wrestling, intergender wrestling rumbles, um, as well as if you are interested in maritime wrestling, if you go to the bottom of my channel, there's a lot of content from the years of other people's matches, not just mine, but it shows you kind of the old school territory, um, and that sort of thing. Madison, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, I do really appreciate it. It's great. Thank you so much to Madison Miles for joining me on the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast. Definitely check her out on her uh, social media. Check out her YouTube channel. Tons of videos of her in action up there. And uh, yeah, just watch for her. She talked about some upcoming East Coast shows. I think one of them actually has Rob Van Dam, if I'm not mistaken, um, which is ridiculously cool. So uh, she talked about the East Coast alluded to those west coast shows so uh, just keep your eyes peeled and uh, watch for her you know possibly showing up at your local promotion so thank you to her thank you for checking out the podcast i say it every time i will always say it i truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me talk about wrestling if it's your first time listening you can find me up on twitter at greenmaker pod we can uh, talk wrestling up there that's my main social media platform i use um, so yeah, up on Twitter, email grainmakerpodcast at gmail.com. Facebook, same thing, but that rarely gets updated. It's usually just the episode stuff. And um, yeah, all podcast streaming platforms. So Apple, Google, Spotify. If there's one you like that I'm not up on, just let me know and I will do my best to get it up there. T-shirts. Uh, Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast t-shirts. They are very fashionable. Um, great for summertime wear. Maybe you want to de-sleeve it. Maybe turn it into a crop top. Both are great options. But uh, 25 bucks a piece. If you're in Winnipeg, I'll hand deliver it. If you are in Canada, I can ship it out to you. Just hit me up for shipping prices. And if you are if you don't want uh, to do that, it's you know a little bit cheaper. But if you go to whatamaneuver.net, search Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, you can grab a shirt off there. But there is exchange rate and shipping which makes it a little bit more pricier so i'm probably your best bet for grabbing a shirt so uh maybe you should buy one you know support a good cause half of all profits is going to a local nonprofit, and uh look fashionable especially in this uh, nice summertime heat so thanks again for checking out the podcast we'll talk soon